Welcome to the Boy Meets World podcast. Today's episode is with Aaron Goldsmith, play-by-play voice for the Seattle Mariners. Aaron was the next board broadcaster in this series of interviews with famous voices during these wacky times. Aaron was a tremendous guest and shared so much about his crazy journey from calling games for the Gateway Grizzlies in 2007, don't worry, I'd never heard of them either, uh, to being part of the Mariners broadcast team just six years later. After talking to Aaron, his rise through the ranks of broadcasting is uh, much more believable. Uh, first of all, his voice is just disarmingly powerful. Uh, and second, his approach to self-improvement is awesome and awe-inspiring and says a lot about uh, who he is as a guy. Um, I wanted to also plug the Seattle Foundation's COVID-19 Response Fund. This was Aaron's charity of choice for the efforts they're making to support those most affected by COVID-19 in Seattle uh, and get everyone back on their feet um, and make sure that Seattle is in a great place after this all ends. Uh, there's a link to do- donate to them in the show notes for today's episode. I encourage you all to uh, to look their way. Uh, I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I did, and I hope you all stay healthy through this. Thank you so much for listening. I'm here with Aaron Goldsmith, who is nice enough to take time out of his Friday night uh, to, to hop on my little podcast. Aaron, thank you so much once again for coming on. Hey, Brandon. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. So in an alternate universe without a pandemic, you are supposed to be, I don't know if, how the flight schedule work, but you'd be leaving Kansas City, going to, to Chicago. Uh, I know you're a big food guy. What, uh, what uh, restaurant were you looking forward to in, in Chicago? Yeah, you know, the second that you said Chicago, I immediately started <laughs> thinking of steaks. Uh, I would definitely be going to Hugo's Frog Bar on Rush Street. Now, I would, I would probably prefer if I could to go to Gibson's, which is their sister restaurant. It's they share a wall, they share a kitchen actually. They're they're next to each other on Rush Street. But Gibson's, I have learned over the, over time, uh, Gibson's is the steakhouse. Uh, mm. Hugo's Frog Bar is not. It sounds like this little dive bar. It's actually bigger than Gibson's and is very nice, but just has more seafood plus all the steaks that Gibson's has. And Gibson's has such an iconic name to it that uh, so many out-of-towners like to go there and reservations fill up really quickly. It's hard to walk in and get a seat, whereas Hugo's is, I don't know, maybe maybe twice as big in terms of seating. So you can walk right in there and you can order Gibson steaks because they share a kitchen. So I would be going there and I would definitely be getting uh, probably their ribeye, the Chicago cut, as it's called there. It's fantastic. I appreciate you not going for the deep dish. I'm, I've, uh, I, I understand. I appreciate the d- deep dish as a delicacy there, but it's, um, it's a little cumbersome to eat. It takes too long to cook. And I don't know. I, I, I think that most people default to deep dish for Chicago, but like you for thinking outside of the box. You know what? In all my years traveling to Chicago with the Mariners, I have, n- I have never had deep dish pizza in Chicago with as a Mariners employee. It's probably because you're a like busy I, man and it takes 45 minutes to cook the pizza. The, you know, the, the cooking time is a major factor. Like if somebody put a deep dish pizza in front of me right now, I would gladly consume sure. it. Sure, yep. Totally agree. But it's not, it's not the best pizza. I mean, I think that's just, I think it's fact. It's not the best form of pizza. Uh, and I have to wait close to an hour for it. 
So I'm going to go get a steak. I'm in Chicago. To me, when I think Chicago food, I think steak. I understand if people think deep dish, but I think a little differently. Yes. Um, let's uh, let's hop back in your career a little bit because obviously you're, you are the voice of the Mariners now, but uh, it didn't start out that way. Um, your Wikipedia entry about your, your pivot to broadcasting, I don't know if you were in charge of that or someone else was, but it's pretty funny. It's listed as... Uh, you were getting your degree in history at Principia in Illinois, and you, quote, woke up one morning thinking that sports casting may be a fun career. How accurate is that uh, depiction? Well, I will say this, Brandon. I'm definitely not responsible for my Wikipedia page. <laughs> there, It has been edited over time by friends of mine to say some pretty outlandish things. Gotcha. Um, uh, but that is actually 100% true. I was a history major. I had my senior year. I had no idea what I wanted to do. It was honestly, it was the first time in my life. And I, I'm not exaggerating, like dating back to the earliest time when I could form memories of my childhood. I always had something I wanted to do as like when I grew up, like the first thing I wanted to do was be a garbage man. And I (laughs) wanted to be a garbage man so badly that on Wednesday mornings when the garbage men came to pick up the trash, like I opened the garage door and I watched him pick up the garbage, right? Like I was that kid. Uh, and I had something that I wanted to do my whole life. And then when my senior year in college hit, uh, I had a massive turn of interest and I just had no idea what it was going to be. And I thought I love sports. I know nothing about radio or broadcasting, but Talking about sports on the radio in some form seems like that would be a great job. And I know for a fact that there are people who get paid to do that. So I'm going to figure out how I can do that. And I never, at that moment in time, never thought that it would take me to Seattle, Washington, calling Major League Baseball for a living. But man, am I glad that's what happened. So uh, you, you, uh, you know, hate to flatter you here, but you have, you have a great voice. And uh, I wonder along the way, did you ever get people telling you like, Hey, Aaron, you'd be, you'd be great as the voice of, of a baseball team or anything like that. Were there, were there hints along the way that you should explore that path? Well, it's kind of you to say, I, I've always had a, a deep voice and just because it was deeper than my peers, every so often somebody would say, you've got a, a nice voice, but really this just meant you've got a deeper voice than everybody else. <laughs> um, what I also realized I went to a broadcasting school in St. Louis called the Broadcast Center, which was very impactful for mm-hmm. me, for my career. It did a, a whole lot for me, mainly because they were really good at teaching and I knew absolutely nothing. Uh, what I learned in school was, was that I had no idea how to speak properly on a lot of things. And I didn't know really how to talk, uh, talking from kind of my diaphragm as opposed to out of my throat and just all these little things that you learn when somebody tells you how to do this for a living. So I learned very quickly that you can think you have a good voice and you might have a good voice, but that's really just kind of the canvas for how you're going to use it and how to make it even better. There aren't many people, I certainly wasn't one, who just rolled out of bed and put a microphone in front of my face and started sounding like I belonged on the radio. It, it it took a lot of time and a lot of work, and it's still evolving, and it, I'm sure it always will. So your your line of stops before the Mariners is very much resembles a, a big leaguer's uh, path to the to the or through the minors to the majors from uh, literally up the ladder from you know independent league up to uh, the Cape League up and up and up you go. What were you doing to get better and better 
every game, every season uh, to keep going up that ladder. It was a lot of work and it was a lot of a lot of time, honestly, Brandon, questioning if I was doing the right thing, if this was the right career for me. My first three years in particular, I I thought about that often. The only way that I knew to improve was to record everything that I ever said on the radio, every interview that I did, every inning that I called. It was all recorded. I still have it to this day. <laughs> And I still record my innings with the Mariners on a digital recorder. I, it's just it's just a habit. But record everything and listen. You don't listen every day because you'll never want to do this again. If you listen every day, um, especially when you're young and learning and you're bad, like I was really bad. <laughs> but I would try to listen once a week and just cherry pick a happening here or happening there and. It was hard in the early days because I didn't really know what I was listening for, but I would try to self-correct as best as I could because I guess I I knew that eventually, although I can ask for help, I can find mentors, which I did, and that was hugely influential in my life and my career. Really, when it comes down to it, I mean, you have to be able to self-correct, right? I mean, if you are in the middle of a game all by yourself and you're in Midland, Texas, and you're on day six of a 12-day Texas League road trip, like you're literally by yourself, man. Like there's nobody there. There's no analyst. There's no producer. Your mentor is nowhere close. You got to be able to hear yourself right then and there on the spot and correct the next half inning or the next pitch. And so that was kind of my mentality. I listened a lot. I still try to listen to myself often, even now. And if you don't do that, you've got no chance because everybody's bad. Everybody is bad. And the only way to, to get good is to hear yourself and learn what you have to do differently. It's, pre it's pretty simple. It just takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah, I, I feel you 100% on this. Even, even with the podcasting part of it, it's so easy to set it, forget it, put up the episode and not analyze it or critique it. And that's fine if you want to stay stagnant. But um, if you do want to make something out of it, you have to to do the work and um, do that very uncomfortable thing of, of listening to yourself. And I know there's kind of this stigma, I think, for young broadcasters that it might almost be egotistical to listen to yourself. Like, mm -hmm. I like my voice so much. Right. I'm listening to it. I'm <laughs> right. Right. But it's, anybody who's done it will know that it's completely a 180 of that. It's so painful to listen to your own voice and to kind of cringe when you hear things and especially when like say there's a home run coming up and this this at bat and you know that it's coming and you know that you butchered the call like that is difficult to subject yourself to when you know, you know <laughs> that it's coming i mean it's inflicting pain on yourself but it's the furthest thing from being egotistical you're really you're tearing yourself down and for any broadcaster one of the great challenges is how to listen and correct without kind of taking the headphones off and kind of feeling down, <laughs> feeling sure. down about what's going on. I mean, that, that happens to all of us. You talked about mentors um, that, that helped you along the way. And I, I had read a piece, I think it was in The Athletic last year, about um, the advice you gave to uh, Anders Jorstad, who ended up uh, in the minor leagues. Um, I think he's working with uh, IMG now. Um, but how important and I guess what advice did you get from those mentors along the way that um, resonated with you and stuck with you to the point where you now want to pay it forward to, to others in your shoes? 
Well, my first mentor was the guy who hired me for my first ever broadcasting job. You referenced the independent leagues. It was with a, a team uh, in Illinois, just across the Mississippi River from Bush Stadium. I was living in St. Louis, and his name is Joe Pott, and he's a phenomenal broadcaster, remains a phenomenal broadcaster to this day. He's one of the best baseball broadcasters I've ever worked with or, or heard, to be perfectly honest with you. And I, I had never called a baseball game in my life. I mean, I'd never done it before. Just the process of speaking and keeping score at the same time was like walking and chewing gum. It was really <laughs> difficult. And how you score a game as a radio broadcaster or TV broadcaster compared to you're just sitting in the stands or you're a bleacher bum and you got a pencil and a scorecard. I mean, it's a, it's right. really different, right? And how you prep for a game. So, I mean, from day one, Joe taught me so much for my foundation. In fact, a, a, a great deal of the way that I keep score today, I took from him. He taught me right off my left shoulder every single night calling games. From there, it was a lot of people within the industry telling me how the industry works, right? Like, Aaron, you probably aren't ready for a full-time job yet. You should probably go look for another internship. <laughs> when, <laughs> when I'm thinking that I've done one year of an internship for an independent league team and I'm, I deserve a, a full-time job as a radio broadcaster, I had a lot to learn. And then... Once I got a little further into it and I was able to find some some broadcasters who were in the majors, once I were higher up and was higher up in the minor leagues, some guys that I could send a CD to or send an email with a, a audio file to and they could actually kind of rip me apart, which was great. Like Eric Nadell, who's the now Hall of Fame voice for the Texas Rangers, mm -hmm. I, I still to this day know a number of the critiques that he gave me listening to my tape. And it meant so much to me that when I sent him my CD, he didn't just say, sounds great, you're on a right. good path, keep working hard. I mean, any guy who's ever asked for feedback knows how horrible that is because what you want is you, you really want to be sliced and diced. And for some people who are doing the critiquing, that's uncomfortable, right? I mean, we can understand that. Especially if you don't maybe know the person that well. But having gone through that, I now know when somebody sends me a demo to listen to, I mean, I really, I, I type live notes out as I'm listening and like, I crush the guy. I mean, I, I do. I just, <laughs> I mean, I, I take him to the wood shop, but you know what? There are guys that I've worked with for two, three, four years where there was a lot of slicing and dicing in the early years. And maybe the, the last time I listened to him, it's like, Hey man, you're, you're killing it. Like you're doing it. So the only way to get to your killing it is to have the slice and dice. Yeah, being vulnerable enough to to ask for that feedback and and you, you know as much as that pat on the back feels good, uh, it may not be what is it. It's definitely not what's what's best for you in the in the short term when you're just not there yet, and you, you need to hear that. Uh, I I heard and read that when you were applying for the the M's play by play job, there were 160 applicants. I think Rick Riz said. Um, if you can turn down your humility for just a second, uh, why do you think you beat out 159 other applicants? Brandon, I'll tell you what, man, I've got no idea. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being completely honest. I mean, when I think about where I was in my life when the Mariners job opened up, I had just finished my 
first and would turn out to be only year as a AAA lead broadcaster. I had been hired to be the voice of the Pawtucket Red Sox, which is like the cradle of minor league broadcasting mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It's kind of seen as the job. There are a lot. There are a number, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten guys, if you include other sports that have made it to the major league major league quote unquote ranks. There are a couple NFL guys, couple there's a, at least one division one play by play broadcaster. And a lot of guys that are in the majors uh, who have gone through Pawtucket. So that's really seen as one of the great places to to call games. And when I got that job, Brandon, like that that was my big leagues. I don't get me wrong, I, I still had dreams of calling big league baseball. But when I got the phone call saying that I was going to be the Paw Sox broadcaster, I, I mean, I gave Heather, my wife, a hug and a kiss. And I said, like, we've made it. <laughs> we, we've done it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this this is like validating that I'm OK at this. And when we moved out east, we were planning on being there for five, ten years, mm-hmm. maybe more. And when the Mariners job opened up, it was really kind of a sense of just obligation to apply. It was the thought of, hey, man, you're you're in AAA now. You just finished one season as a lead AAA broadcaster. Like you kind of have to apply. And that's what you do right. at this point. If I was in AA like I was the year prior, I don't think there's any way I even I, – I know I, I don't apply for the Mariners job because there's no way I would think at the time that I would have gotten it. And I will tell you this, not applying would have been a mistake. Not that I would have gotten it, but you should just always apply for everything when you're in the minors because you've got nothing to lose but postage. And when they when they emailed me, the Mariners, that is, and said, congratulations, we've made this. is I'm, This isn't exactly what they said, <laughs> but they in so many words said we've made two piles, a pile of people who were not interested in. And a pile of people who we think we may we may be interested in. And congratulations, you've made the pile that we may be interested in. <laughs> I I was I was on top of the world. A major league baseball team, first of all, actually listened to my demo. Right. Somebody in a major league ballpark press play, heard my play by play, and thought, I might want to hear this again. <laughs> Man. I mean, that to me was winning the lottery. And it, I still didn't think I had a shot at it, but I was so excited and so thrilled. And then when they reached out and they said that they wanted to talk to me on the phone, I became terrified. Like now it became real, right? And then after a phone interview, uh, they flew me out to Seattle and I'd never been to Seattle before. And I was really scared, really scared. I mean, I'm I'm making 30 grand a year in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, calling AAA baseball. And, and I don't know a thing about working in the big leagues. Uh, at all. I mean, I barely even know anybody who works in the big leagues and it was a total whirlwind. And to this day, uh, we joke around Rick, Rick Riz, you referenced the the voice of the Mariners and Kevin Kremen, who for 35 years was the executive producer for Mariners radio. And is is like a father to me to this day. Uh, We joke that the reason I got the job is because they listed the applicants, the 160 applicants, by first name alphabetical order. <laughs> right. Double A. And so I was I was at the top and I got the first listen. And so that's why apparently I got the job. But uh it was 
the great one of the one of the truly greatest days of my life outside of my wedding day and children being born was when the Mariners called me and, and, and told me that they wanted to hire me. I, I, I never, ever thought it would happen when I put that CD in the mail. So did that make uh, calling games your first year pretty difficult when you're pinching yourself the entire season? You know, it is a, it is a lot. I mean, it's it's funny when you when you talk about young players and the transition to the majors and, and hey, maybe there's a player who is really good in AAA and is struggling in the majors. Obviously, what the players do is a thousand times more difficult than what we do in the booth. But I mean, I can understand the standpoint of just how different it is. For example, my first big league road trip was first to San Francisco. We were playing the A's. We stay in San Francisco, San Francisco, and then Chicago. And I remember the first big league hotel I ever stayed at in downtown San Francisco. I mean, there were the, the hotel was on the corner of the street and there were three separate entrances to the hotel. And, you know, we get this itinerary of when the buses are going to leave for the ballpark. And, and it doesn't say what entrance the buses are going to be at, be at. But it's just assumed because of all the, you know, everybody's done this before. They've all stayed at this hotel <laughs> right. before, right? And I went to the first two wrong entrances before I found the right one. And I'm sweating bullets because I think I'm going to miss my first big league bus to go to opening day <laughs> with King Felix pitching. And I mean, in the minors, there's one door, man. There's one right. door and there's one bus and you can't miss it. Um, so it's it's that little of a thing amplified throughout the entire day. And the stage is so much bigger, obviously. And uh, it, it's just you can't even compare it. So, yeah, I was pinching myself every single day that first season. So it was kind of funny. You were the same age as Rick Riz was when he broke in as a major league broadcaster. How has it been having Riz and Blowers and, like you said, Kremen? Um, how did they help you adjust to a new gig, a new city, um, a new stratosphere of your career um, all at once there? Yeah, it's funny. I remember when I was prepping for the interview, I saw that Rick was – 29 when he got the job and the other funny thing about it was that he began in 1983 and I was born in 1983 <laughs> and so I, I remember thinking I probably won't bring that up during the interview um I, I won't highlight that point sure. uh, maybe I'll highlight the 29 year old part but not the other uh but you know Rick was so helpful from the standpoint of Nothing was new to Rick, right? He has been there and done that, but, but he still works as hard as a guy who's in his first year in the big leagues. And so all I had to do was basically just watch what Rick did. And I learned very quickly that you'll, you're, you will never beat Rick to the ballpark. I tried my first year to beat Rick to the ballpark, and I think I finally quit when I showed up around 12.45 for a 7 o'clock game. And Rick's car is already there. Uh, you can't beat him to the park. He's always there. He's always at the ballpark. And Kevin was really influential, not only in year one, but in the years to follow. There'd be times where if I had a call from last night's game that maybe I felt I did something wrong in, maybe I described it poorly or I punctuated it wrong, my inflection wasn't there when it would just be me and Kevin in the booth the next day 
say three or four, four o'clock in the afternoon, I'd kind of swivel my chair to Kevin. I'd say, Hey Kev, that, hey, that, that Cano home run last night in the sixth, it was a little, and then he would say, yeah, it was a little pitchy at the end. Right. I'm like, <laughs> yes. Okay. And so, I mean, he was great. Cause he, he was kind enough that he wasn't going to take a battle ax to me every day, especially in the early days. He knew that I was really nervous, uh, but Whenever I wanted feedback, he was so honest, and I love that. I love that about Kevin. Uh, he's a brutally honest guy, and I, I I will always love him for that and many other things. Uh, one of the things about your, I mean, obviously you do tremendous work as a broadcaster, but but extracurricular from that is is the Wheelhouse Podcast and your work um, to extend the the Mariners brand. Uh, digitally, and I, the wheelhouse is such an awesome thing for us as fans to have a direct line of communication to the GM. Uh, it's very uncommon in professional sports to have that. So, how did the wheelhouse come to fruition? Well, Brandon, that's very, very nice of you to those kind words. It, the story of the beginning of the wheelhouse, I mean, it's almost unbelievable when you think about pro athletics, pro sports, general managers, right? Mm -hmm. From any NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, whatever it might be. And you think about how guarded they are, how sure. protected they are. And most, to be brutally honest, just how boring they are, right? I mean, a lot of them are just boring guys. Um, and to be, to be fair to them, being boring is probably good for their job security. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can take 0% credit for the creation of the podcast. Uh, Colin O'Keefe, who I would say probably a lot of uh, Mariners fans who are especially uh, pretty consumed in the Twitter world of Mariners baseball know who Colin is. He oh, actually yes. just, yeah, just somewhat recently left the Mariners. He's a terrible person. Uh, we <laughs> love Colin. Uh, he, we, we couldn't keep him forever. He, he received a, a job offer in Seattle with a family business that was too good to pass up and so he, he did the right thing for he and his wife. And he sadly for us left the Mariner, but he was on our digital team and he had his own podcast before he was hired by the Mariners and, and working for the M's was like a total dream job for Colin. He's a, a massive Mariners fanboy, And he went to our, our boss, a gentleman named Kevin Martinez, who's wonderful. And he said, Kevin, what do you think about the idea of a podcast with Jerry? And Kevin said, that sounds like that could be really great. Why don't I go ask Jerry? So Kevin walked down the steps to T-Mobile Park, knocked on Jerry's door, put his head inside and said, Jerry, what do you think about doing a podcast? And Jerry said, yeah, man, it sounds great. Let me know what I can do. <laughs> and right there, the wheelhouse was born. I mean, it was that easy. I mean, you would think it would be pulling teeth and that – a guy in Jerry's position would say, okay, I'll do it, but under, under these qualifications and we can only talk about certain things. I mean, Jerry was two feet in from the word go. And truthfully, when they pitched me the idea of hosting it, they pitched it to me uh, during uh, early in the off season. And they really, I don't know if they, I don't think they did this intentionally. This is just kind of how it came out or how at least I interpreted it. It was kind of like, hey, Aaron, we want to do a podcast with Jerry. We want to do some during the course of this offseason, talk about the upcoming year. And to me, I was like, oh, okay, like, cool. We'll do, what, two, three episodes? And I'm like, that's it. Because there's no way that somebody in Jerry's position right. would 
do a podcast during the season. I mean, it just didn't even seem at all rational. So I said, yeah, sure, man. I'm, you know, I'll drive into the ballpark and we'll knock a couple of these things out. And then after we did a couple, I quickly realized, no, this is like, this is a thing, <laughs> man. This is a real thing. The Jerry's incredible. My job is so easy. I mean, I don't have to say anything. Uh, and Jerry's a wealth of knowledge and stories and information. So it's it's turned into just this inc incredible product that I'm just so grateful to be a part of because it's, I mean, it's kind of groundbreaking, not to make it sound bigger than what it is, because it is just a podcast after all, but nothing like it's ever been done before with a major league executive. And I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon with somebody else because you you have to have, in this case, the general manager, he has to be really captivating. Right. And really open. And there just aren't many guys in that seat who are like that. Yeah, that uh, it, it truly is, like you said, one of a kind. And the, the level of transparency for us as fans, I, I joke with my guy I do my Mariners podcast with about how I know that Jerry DePoto uh, will often put the adjective roughly in front of things that don't really, that doesn't really work as an adjective, but it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a favorite of, of Jerry's and it's, it's, we, you know, we kind of joke about it, but it is incredible that I even know that, you know, that the access to a general manager like that um, is just so unprecedented. And so I hope that uh, even without Colin, that the wheelhouse continues uh, because it is such a, such a tremendous boon for, for us as fans. And uh, to hear the GM's perspective on, on the up, the ebbs and flows of a season um, is, is, you know, and not in a press conference sense is, is just such a cool thing. Yeah. Two things off of what you just said, rest assured, it will continue. Obviously Great. it's on a bit of a hiatus right now, but I, Oh, one of my great, great friends and somebody that Mariners fans are very lucky to have in Seattle, Gary Hill, who took over for Kevin Kremen a couple of years ago and does a lot of play-by-play -play for us as well. Gary also hosts a Mariners podcast, the Mariners official baseball podcast. Gary is going to be the new producer for it and will join me as kind of a, a right-hand man co-host. Uh, so I'm thrilled that, that Gary's in the fold now. hate to lose Colin, but very happy to have Gary. And then... You know, going off of what you said about kind of being unfiltered and talking no matter what the situation is, I remember there was a time a couple of years ago where we were in Cleveland and, man, the Mariners were just getting hammered. I mean, it was ugly. And it wasn't just tonight was ugly, but like the last couple of games have been really ugly. And Jerry was on the trip and Rick was doing play-by-play. And his Jerry's booth was just a booth or two down from where we were. And we were scheduled to do a recording of the of the wheelhouse the next day. Jerry was going to come to the ballpark early and we were going to do one from the radio booth. And I knocked on the door and I poked my head and I said, hey, man, if you want, like we can we can bang this thing for tomorrow. We, we do not have to record tomorrow. And all he said was, nah, we talk when it's good. We got to talk when it's bad, too. And I said, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. So, I mean, it is. And there have been, as I mean, to be perfectly frank, right, there, there have been plenty of times where Jerry and I have talked about things that haven't been great, uh, bad stretches of play. And before we sit down and record, I always give him the opt out. Like, hey, do you want to you want to move past this or go a different direction? And he always faces the facts and will talk about what's going on, good or bad, which I find very impressive. It is. Yeah, that's that's great news that the wheelhouse will continue. 
Um, and, and like you said, just such a tremendous opportunity for, um, for us as fans to get that kind of access. So appreciate the work you do there. Uh, I've, I've taken way too much of your time, but I do want to get five quick questions in before, before we get out of sure. here, if that's all good. Uh, all right. So five burning questions, Brian Kenny style. Uh, number one, <laughs> uh, what is your favorite minor league promotion that you were a part of somehow? That was a part of like, that I uh, just in. You were working with the team that had this funky promotion that you can't believe happened. Okay, I'll tell you. I will tell you. I it, I didn't work for the team. This I I find this promotion. It's actually so unspeakable. I actually am feeling awkward saying it. <laughs> There's a team, and I feel so uncomfortable. I won't even say the team name. Sure. Okay? If people really care, they can figure it out. There's a team that annually has a midget wrestling competition. Wow. I think it's I think it's post game. Like maybe they do it after a day game and they roll a ring out there. Like when I when I was doing the tours in the minors and I called a game and saw in the game notes that after the game that night was what I just said, I, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. So that was one that took my breath away in a very bad way. I prefer uh, Star Wars fireworks shows, but that's that's just me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is harder, riding a bowl for 30 seconds or calling a basketball game with Bill Walton? uh you know i did write a bull one time i wish i lasted 30 seconds um so i would say the bull is harder i went into the walton game knowing that i had to actively ignore 50 percent of what he said it was hard to maintain that pace but i came close i'm sure you could have uh Sent uh, sent Dave Pash a nice email after that uh, <laughs> after that broadcast. Uh, that was that was fun. Um, if you had to teach a college history course, what would it be called? Oh, that's a great question, man. Oh, thank you. What would it be called? Uh, you know what? I would okay. It would be about. I know what it would be about. It would be about. Uh, it would be about servicemen who played in the major leagues. Like I'm fascinated with veterans who then played in the majors. I mean, Ted Williams is an obvious example. And I, and I, you know, you can, there are, there are those who served, um, kind of more poster child positions, right? Non-combat related. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously Ted Williams served in two wars, uh, was very combat related. Um, but it would be something about, um, uh, Military veterans uh, playing Major League Baseball. It would be, I would be, I'm, I've always find that very interesting. I'm sure you could make a call to University of Washington and, and uh, pitch for, for an adjunct position there if, if you ever had the time. Uh, that sounds like an awesome class. I'm sure I would have, uh, would have registered for that one. Uh, two questions here to, to get out. They're the opposite here. Uh, question four, biggest on-air gaffe? Oh, man, I can't say it. I can't say it. It's so bad I can't say it. Uh-oh. It happened with the it happened with the Mariners. I've never told anyone this on the record cuz it's so bad, man. No one's like, listening to this. Don't even worry about I, it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I first of all, I did not curse, okay? Great. Uh, but what I alluded to was so bad. Um, let's put it this way. It revolved around Kyle Seeger and a two ball count. And I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Wow. <laughs> well, rack my imagination. I was talking to, to Cash Cone about the same question. And his answer was that uh, 
he um, had he, uh, someone dunked in a in a college basketball game, and he referred to it as dropping the deuce. So uh, I don't know if it's worse or better than that, but um, you are not alone. Mine, mine is mine. That is very good and bad, obviously. Sure. Uh, mine, mine is worse than that for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, I will. But here, okay, here's the good part about mine. Uh, when it happened, I looked to my left to where Rick sits and Rick had his headphones off and was like voice texting somebody. Okay. Which is Rick's preferred method of texting. Mm -hmm. I look, I look to my right where Kevin sits and he has his headphones on, but is looking at like Kansas city barbecue.com or something. <laughs> okay. Like his, like I could have said anything and he wouldn't have heard it because he's thinking about what dinner he's going to get in Kansas City in two nights. I think I, I can talk about that many people will know about is I called a Nelson Cruz home run in Tampa Bay a floater because it went into the mm. right tank. Okay. So That's... like that, that, that lives on forever. Um, was that a, was that a, sub, was... a subconscious thing? That you just said it without thinking about it, or did you have that planned? Absolutely. I did not. I definitely did not think I was saying that. It, it was a getaway. Get this. It was a getaway day game in St. Pete. You know, Mariners at the Trop, right? Yeah. On At 1 o'clock on a Wednesday, okay? Nobody's watching this thing, at least outside of the home markets. And even then, I mean, most people are at work, of course. And... Close game. I think it was tied. I think Brad Boxberger was pitching for the Rays. And Cruz hits this just towering oppo dinger that's going into the Ray tank. And I'll be honest, part of me is so happy he hits this home run because we want to get on this bird and get a six-hour flight back home so we can see our family to wrap up this road trip. We don't want to be tied at one through nine innings, right? So it... Goes in the right tank. The Mariners go up whatever it was, two to one. I'm looking at the I'm on TV for the for this game on a route. I'm looking at the monitor and I see the ball just floating. And I say, We've got a floater here in Tampa Bay. <laughs> um, and I'm so excited about that. And I look to my left and I look at Blow, and Blow's face is like, dude, you're on your own. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like he was not coming in and touching that thing. I was so nervous. I was so nervous, honestly, when I got on the plane. And it wasn't like this was my first year. I wasn't exactly a grizzled vet, but this was probably like my, I don't know, my fourth or fifth year calling Mariners games. And I was so afraid that it was going to go viral and I was going to get in big trouble, right? And I'm like searching Deadspin on Twitter. I'm like, I'm on the plane. I'm looking at Deadspin. I'm refreshing the Twitter feed for awful announcing. And like, like CBS Sports' baseball Twitter feed uh picked it up and ran with it but it got like no traction fortunately and yeah my bosses i don't think even ever said anything so i survived but uh floater in tampa bay will, will live on forever for a number of people i'm sure that is that is beautiful um that that asbestos in the trop that will do some funky things to the brains that's that's not your fault thank you uh, yeah. thank you thank you i appreciate that the 1-0 Cruz to center this sends Geyer racing back. It's over his head and it's into the pool. The Stingrays will have to take cover. We've got a floater here in Tampa Bay. 
Nelson Cruz will touch them all. A wet souvenir inside the drop. Three nothing Mariners. He has been amazing. Uh, the opposite for question number five before we get out of here. Favorite call that you've had uh, since you've been in Seattle? Well, you know, when I think when the way you asked that, I, I will refer, I will think of it as the most memorable. Is that sure? Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, you know, I'm going to break it down two ways for you. Fa- favorite call would be any. Nelson Cruz home run and Edwin Diaz inning. Mm. Okay. Like well, I didn't get a ton of Eddie uh, innings on the radio cause Rick gets the ninth, but there were times where Rick was uh, taking a night off or I was on TV and Diaz of course was pitching in the ninth inning and watching him pitch the ninth inning, man. Electric. I mean, it was just the great, I mean, it's just, it was just so cool. Oh my gosh. It was so cool. You're just like, even if it's May 6th, right. And you're playing the, who cares? You're just on every pitch because it's just so filthy. You just want to see how how close to 100 is he going to get. And if he throws a slider, how much is he going to embarrass this dude at the plate right now? It was just awesome. And the Cruz home runs were, uh, honestly, they were a real challenge to call to try to describe on radio in particular how amazing they were. I mean, they were just just amazing, so many of them. Uh, But my most memorable call... Uh, Logan Morrison uh, in 2014 had this incredible September and it was late in the year and it was one of these, the Mariners, that you know, every game counts so much and they were trying to get a wild card or a play-in for the wild card and he uh, hit one to the gap in, in right center field and Kyle Seeger scored from first base, which like I don't think Kyle Seeger's ever scored from first base <laughs> yeah. since. Um, but when, when Seeger made the turn past third base. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. And I got so excited and my voice cracked, unfortunately, or fortunately for some people uh, like my wife who finds that very amusing. Human essence, um, yeah. yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Um, and the place just went, went bananas and it was just the feeling of calling late September, meaningful baseball when big plays like that happen. It's just the coolest, man. It's so awesome. I mean, I'm just so grateful for my job and to be able to do it. And uh, it was, it was just, a, it was just an incredible feeling, the rush of energy and to hear the crowd and to lay out and hear them going nuts. It was, it was awesome. Pitch to Morrison, swinging a line drive, right center field. This bounces will roll all the way up to the wall. Here comes Seager, pedals to second, into third. Seager being waved home, the throw home. He slides, he's safe, we're tied at one. Logan Morrison, the biggest RBI of his career. He's tied at one apiece in the seventh inning. Well, I'm sure that the uh, the next infield fly that you get to cover will feel like that Lomo double. Um, just, just, <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> probably right. Well, we're so depraved by then. Um, thank you so much, Aaron, for doing this. I, I really appreciate you taking the the more time than I asked of you. Um, I, I wish nothing but the best for you and your family. Stay healthy. Can't wait to hear your calls again. And um, yeah, I really appreciate this. Two, 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 two